Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. But today is the day God ordained, as Sister said, and we are so happy to have you today, Sister Jackie. Well, here we are. Today, I think what our morning is, is really a reflection of God's mercy, and that's what struck me as we were praising this morning. You and I can look at our lives and see how God has been merciful. He came for that one sheep. Wherever you were, he found you. Right? We wouldn't be here if we weren't that found sheep. But he came. And for that, we can cry magnifica. We can say, praise God. Because how different our life has been since he came, right? There was the before, like Saul. And then there's the after, Paul. You know? And hopefully, we're continuing to witness with our lives that praise and mercy of God. So today, really, it's a testimony. This is like a fruit from my annual retreat last year, Pope Francis had talked about our lives being God's love story. And I don't know if you ever thought of your life that way. There's a quote I will be sharing, but before I do that, you have your handout, which has a beautiful prayer by our founder, or it's based on the writings of our founder, Blessed James Alberione, on God's dream for me. Lately, I've been struck by the idea that every day God has these dreams. It's like he wakes up and he's like, I have these dreams for you for today. Let's share them. Let's live them together. You know, I know we've seen a lot of strife in our world, but that doesn't stop God from dreaming. And he's already dreamt every day. There's no day that's alike, right? The sunrise is different. The sunset is different. The people you meet every day is different. The experiences are different. Can you believe that he planned those? Every single day is different, which means he desires to live those dreams with us if we collaborate with him. So I want us to pray this prayer together. Prayer of God's dream for me. Your dream, O Jesus Master, is to lay hold of me to change me with your divine life. Your dream is to fill me with your charity, to make me love the Father and all my brothers and sisters just as you do. Your dream is to bind me to you with the closest bonds, to bind our hearts together as one. Your dream is to make me strong, to impart to me your divine power, so that I can overcome evil and be constant in doing good. Your dream is to inflame me with an untiring zeal to spread your kingdom in the world. Your dream is to possess me in this life and in the life to come. O Master, may your dream come true. May I be able to give all that you ask of me. Amen. Today will be really a sharing, and I invite you to look at your own journey. Maybe some lights will come across. 
This is not like the example par excellence, but it's just a way I've been reflecting of how many lights, how many seeds the Lord has kept planting in my life to the point that I am today. And it marvels me because these are not things that I planned. I feel like, as um, our founder would say, a half-blind man kind of stumbling through life and whoop, the Lord puts up another one and it's like, I didn't see that coming. But he tends to do that. And that's how we can marvel at his plan and then give glory to him because imagine how intricate his plan is. How, how Psalm 139 says he knows us, whether we're sitting, we're standing, we're sleeping, we're thinking or we're not, doesn't matter. He knows us and he loves us. So I hope this will be just a journey of reflection, you and I, as we go through my story. I'm going to be inviting you into my life to meet my family. If you've never gone to Kenya, welcome aboard. <laughs> Put your seatbelt on. We are flying to the African continent. And just to be able to enter into some of the experiences that the Lord, even though we've been miles apart, it's the same spirit. The same Holy Spirit has been at work in my life and is continuing to work today. So this is the quote I got from Pope Francis during my annual retreat last year. It says, there are many people around Jesus who search for God, but the most prodigious reality is that long before that, in the first place, there is God, who is concerned about our life, who wants to raise it. And to do this, he calls us by name, recognizing the individual face of each person. Each person is a love story that God writes on this earth. Each person is a love story that God writes on this earth. That's why the life is so important, right? Each one of us is God's love story. Each one of us is God's love story. He calls each of us by name. He knows us by name. He looks at us. He waits for us. He forgives us. He is patient with us. And that's why I want us to rest this morning. God's love story in, is my life, is your life. And hopefully through the talk and through also some of the resources which I'll be sharing later on um, that you can be able to get through our store, through in the back, really just to help you enter into that story of your life, which is sacred. Nothing in it is a mistake even when there's stuff that's happened that you didn't expect or that was wrong or you, whatever you might call it, nothing. Nothing is a mistake. It's a sacred story. And hopefully by going through this morning, we'll be able to see, at least I'll share what I have come to see. It's a sacred story and to be able to honor it and share it with others. So, as I said, come to Kenya. If some of you don't know where Kenya is. Kenya is in the east side of Africa. You've probably heard of Sudan, right? So that eastern side where you see the Indian Ocean, we have above us Ethiopia, Somalia is on the right. Below us is Tanzania. We've got a lot of seminarians from Uganda, which is on the left of us. In between the three countries is the Lake Victoria, which guess what, is the source of the Nile. It kind of looks interesting. How would the Nile be going upward? Well, the earth is round figure that out, yeah. But basically, the Lake Victoria is the source of the Nile. So, but anyway, Kenya is in the eastern part of Africa. I come from the central part of Kenya. And as I'll take you through, there's different terrains within Kenya. 
where you have the Indian Ocean, there's the history of when the Arabs came down, they intermarried with the, those who were natives, and we have Swahili, the language Swahili, which is a little bit of Arabic and some of the native. So Swahili is our national language in Kenya. So we have a mixture of Islam and Christianity going on within um, Kenya. And so it's not uncommon that we have some of our family members who are Muslim and some of us who are Christian in the same family. We've learned how to kind of live. With, if you're truly a, a Muslim in the true sense, we can live together because they understand who God is. It's the radical ones. When we have radical Christians, you're like, that's not our God. You know, that's, and then we have the central part of Kenya, which you have a lot of, there's the Mount Kenya, which is known to have a lot of volcanic soil. So we grow a lot of coffee, corn, beans. My family is from a, a heritage of farmers. That's what is in the central part. If you go further north, you have the nomadic folks who move from one place, they live in little huts, and they have a lot of cattle. Uh, but that's their lifestyle. And then it's very deserty up there. And then on the left side, where you have Uganda, called the Nilots who are the fishermen. There's a lot of fishing that goes on around the Lake Victoria region. Brilliant folks, they say those who eat fish are really brilliant. I guess that's why we have fish oil, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a different terrain. We have almost 40 tribes in Kenya. A lot of tribes, but at least we have English and Swahili to kind of keep us united and talking in some shape or form. But most of us speak three or more languages. There's our main tribe, there's Swahilis, there's, there's English and whatever else you want to learn along the way. That is Mount Kenya. I grew up seeing the mountain. Um, our, my ancestors, who weren't obviously Catholic before Christianity came, worshipped facing this mountain because um, in my tribe we believed in this supreme being who we didn't know was God, but we knew, you know, like in each one of us, there is a supreme being, and so by our tribal customs and worship, we faced that mountain. That's as far as I saw snow. I never snow, saw <laughs> snow anywhere until I came to this country, so, uh, when, or in the fridge, you know, that's the ice. And as I said, we grow a lot of corn, beans, a lot of coffee. A lot of it gets exported to Starbucks, you know, like they, they can find some of the Kenyan coffee there in some of the, uh, the market here. So it's funny how, a tidbit, in Kenya, we export the coffee but don't really drink it because of the British tradition. We do tea. A lot of veggies, as I said, growing in my, in my family, like this is one of the greenhouses my family has, but we grow a lot of kale and green um, stuff, uh, spinach and carrots and tomatoes, and we eat a lot of healthy stuff, and it's just part of everyday living. Where I grew up in the village, in that Nyeri, which is the central part of Kenya, it's my parents' home. My grandparents' home was pretty close by. I'll introduce you to my grandparents who are all deceased. But this is where I grew up for part of my earlier years. Right beyond these trees, you would see the mountain, way in the, in the front. So kind of you'd wake up and it's like, oh, today it's a cloudy day, you can't quite see the peaks. But it was just a beautiful scenery and very, very green. The house next to it is my brother's house. I'll introduce my family. I'm the oldest and I have a brother who's two years younger than me and my sister who's eight years younger than me. My brother, because of family traditions, when he becomes a man, about 13 years old, moves into his own house, which my dad would build for him, and that's his little house. After that, he's a little grown-up. Don't sit with mom and dad now. You're on your own. Well, not on your own, but he'd come and have breakfast. You know how it is. Gotta grow up now. You're a man. 
so there it is. And then the girls, of course, we live in mom and dad's house, yeah. But but it's it's more like helping them grow up and take. My family is, I have my mom and dad. My mom is Esther. My dad is Raphael. And on my left is my brother Kevin and his wife. At that time was taken, I think they had just gotten married. My, my sister-in-law, Judy, and then on it is my youngest sister, Susan. And I think my dad will be turning 74 or 75, I don't know, somewhere around there. And my mom will be turning, I think, 68. And that's my sister. Now they're both, they're my sister and Eugene, now my new brother-in-law, who they just got married in November last year. This is my sister and my, my sister-in-law and my brother, Kevin. And they have five little ones, five and under. <laughs> because God did a miracle on us. The first one is Imaran Joki, is Naema Mudani, who is I think a year or so under. And they have triplet boys. We have uh, Fadili Trump, well in order of how they came out after the C-section. <laughs> so we have Fadili and then Imani is the second one and the little one is Zakia. Right now they just turned two. Terrible too. So you can imagine they have to be on leashes and so as you can imagine that picture took several hours to that's the entire family. As my sister and my brother-in-law just got married, we'll, we'll wait for whenever the Lord blesses them with kids. My grandparents were a big part of my growing up. As I said, my grandma and my grandpa Agnes and John lived quite uh, very close to us because um, basically my, where we lived in our ancestral home that is where my dad received his inheritance from my parents so that's where from his parents so that's where he would build the house to raise his family and so we were very close in proximity to my grandparents Agnes and John but my grandparents on my mom's side husband and Millicent lived about uh, I'd say probably an hour from where we were we're both the same tribe, but guess what? We're different dialects. So it makes it quite interesting, as my mom would say, even though we're the same tribe, we say things differently. We do things differently, which makes it quite complicated sometimes. Like, what are those traditions that you all do? So it was very interesting. I mean, just from the get-go, going from my mom's side to my dad's side, thankfully both of them are pretty easy going, but to learn how things are done in one side and in one and the other. My parents, as I said, have been a big part of my life. They were both very faith-filled Christians. On my mom's side was Anglican, so very strong Anglican faith and very spirit-filled people. And we would pray with them and they would pray for us and they would ask about our lives and it was just a joy being able to visit with them. My grandpa on my, on my mom's side was a train driver, do trains all throughout the country. And I think my, my grandma was a, a homemaker, so they did a lot of farming. Either way, all of us were in the farming business. My grandparents, on my dad's side, my grandfather was a principal of a school, so and a lot of education. And then also my grandma Agnes was a homemaker. How did I become where I'm at? This is what happened. In the beginning, I was born. <laughs> the first kid between um, my mom and my dad in 1978. My dad is an engineer by profession, like telecommunications engineer, and my mom is a secretary by profession, but also very entrepreneurial. She used to work like for the central bank, for Coca-Cola, for just very great, for different administrative stuff. Very instrumental in terms of education. My mom converted to Catholicism when she married my dad. And she actually took on the faith. It wasn't just this 
transition because I married this guy. I think she also has been baptized in the spirit, like gone through the renewal, because I think they had a prayer group that she would go to in Nairobi. And so she would get us the prayer books, the Bibles, making sure each one of us had our own little prayer books and could pray our prayers. Uh, but both of them really made that emphasis of raising us to some extent of being faithful to our relationship with God. Not that they didn't have their own flaws. No, no family is perfect, as you all know. But at least just to put there the effort that they made to sow the seeds. My dad traveled quite a bit because of, of business. And my mom and, and, and the rest of us kind of stayed in our ancestral home and for, from, for some time until about fourth grade when we all moved back into Nairobi where my dad had his work. But in those early years, my dad would shuttle back and forth like over the weekends. And you know, coming from the big city, we all looked forward to when he would bring us the goodies. One thing that I remember was like little those cookies with waffles. They had a like cream in it. Little things like that, which would be like coming from the city was like, wow. You know, we're going to have a great weekend. But just to say, I was baptized and not too long after, actually on the feast I came to learn of St. Catherine of Siena, who now I've come to get to know a little bit as my, as my baptism saint. And my godmother, who is right next to her, has been very instrumental, even in when I was making my final vows, she's still alive. And she was there to really rejoice in that moment. This was during my first communion. I went through, this is the major basilica in Nairobi, the Holy Family Basilica. It's pretty central. Actually, it's next to a Hilton. <laughs> and then in the city where, um, in the little hometown I grew up, we have the cathedral. It's called the Our Lady of Consolata Cathedral, which is where I started my catechism classes in my own tribe. And this was also the place which I was blessed to make my final vows. And I never thought it would happen, but again, talk about God's graces. What he had started from the beginning would kind of keep coming up to show how faithful he was. After grade school, I went to Nairobi, which was high school. And as you know, high school can be a very interesting time. Um, the first time of, of being in high school, I entered into this grade school. When it was an all-girls school. It was a national school. We came from different parts of the country. And usually the system of education is eight years of grade school, then four years of high school, and four years of college. After grade school, we get us do like, I think it's the SAT, I forget what exam you do here, but we have a national exam that you get selected to go to different schools that you would have done a placement for, like a choice of. So I went to this national school and got into a good group of Bible study and whatnot. And then by the time this semester was done, I was kind of questioning my faith because I was not sure I wanted to be Catholic anymore because I couldn't explain some of the things that I was learning or I was being asked. And this was actually the Protestant chapel that was pretty much in the center of, of campus, but we had different religions and we would meet as Catholics. But I remember a pretty significant moment at the second term when I decided, you know what, I don't get it, I'm, I don't want to be Catholic anymore, and I decided to go to another faith. And after I made my decision, came back home and told my parents, mom and dad, I've decided. And I'm sure you all have heard that's so like, oh no. And yes, my mom and dad were like, oh dear, what are we gonna do with her? It's interesting to hear from them now what that meant to them, because they prayed really hard. The words that really stayed with me 
at that moment that they told me, you know, you don't have to change your faith. You just have to go deeper. Now, I was having a crisis of faith because there's some, as you know, many times we get asked, why do Catholics worship Mary? Well, all Catholics are going to hell. And Catholics are doing that and this, and why is there a Pope, and why is this, you know. And sometimes you don't have all those answers. I mean, you believe them, it's just that you just don't quite know how to put it in words and tell them. And so I stumbled on that, and I remember coming to a point of asking God, you know, Lord, I'm really confused here. I really am. Do you exist? If you're out there, could you please help me? And I remember distinctly asking him, Please show me the way. Well, evidently, I wouldn't be here if he didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> but this is what happened. So what happened was he sent some Jesuit seminarians. And they came, and this particular Jesuit who came was one of my confirmation teachers. And do you know, he and the other seminarians were quite instrumental in teaching us the faith. You know, surprisingly, I thought I had left the faith. But when these guys came, I, I rejoined the faith, I think. Because then I apparently went through my confirmation classes with them. And from that point on, I began to grow and understand more steadily what my faith was. But I consider this a pretty instrumental answer and a seed planted in prayer that God hears those inner struggles of trying to find your place or make sense of his existence or not. He does hear if we honestly just cry out to him. So I move along in my high school. The Lord continues to plant people. This young woman here, her name is Joy, was part of the Opus Dei movement who came to our, to our high school. And they would invite us for moments of what we call recollection, uh, being able, on Saturdays, where we learned more about the faith. We'd have mass, we'd be able to have adoration together. But she also helped me in learning about spiritual direction. And another thing about the plan of life. What is a plan of life? Like when you wake up in the morning, do you have some time set aside for prayer? And then what, what kind of work are you going to be involved in? Whether it's the housework, whether it's the work that you go to in your office. And then what time are you going to be able to pray? Spend some time in examination of conscience, some spiritual reading, the rosary, the chaplet. How does all that get weaved in your day so that you're remaining in constant communion with God? At this time, I was having a pretty active life because I was also playing on the school basketball team. So there was a lot of training and tournaments, and, but, and also trying to figure that out with my spiritual life and classes. As you know, there's a lot of that that goes on with our kids and the grandkids, of them trying to find a balance between not playing tournaments on a Sunday morning where you should be going to Mass, but sometimes you have to, but how do you still keep God at the center of your life? And she was very instrumental in kind of helping me, you know, craft that plan of life. So as I finished high school, I came to a point where I was waiting to go into college, and I was at prayer in that little ancestral home, and I felt lousy that day, and I was just, how oh, you're sometimes overwhelmed by your sense of sinfulness, and you're kind of going through confession with the same old list. It's just like reorganized, but it's pretty much the same list. And you're wondering, you're not making any progress here spiritually. And I remember having this distinct moment of prayer. I think it was about June or July. Of, it was after high school. I remember having this time of prayer and asking the Lord, please help me. I just 
feel so awful. I feel like I'm not making any strides. I feel like I've come to this plateau. And I was having a powerful time of prayer, and I felt these words of Isaiah 54, verse 8, come to mind, where I said, I turned away from you for just a moment, but now I will show you my love forever. At that time, it was very much a relief to hear those words from the Lord, but I have no clue what, what does you mean, you love forever, and you were angry with me for a moment. You know, those words didn't make sense, but I took them and received them as well. Well, what happened was, right after that, I got invited to this retreat. This priest, Father Bill, was a Vincentian priest who at the time was quite popular inviting people to a spiritual renewal. So one of the members of my small Christian community or parish invited me to go for this retreat. And lo and behold, when I was at this retreat, I got prayed over. It was a simple, we sat down, do you want me to pray for you? Yes, when we sat down and, and he prayed over me, it's like this warmth, tingling, came all the way on this side. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Well, what happened is, and after that, I ended up, Father would say, make sure you make a really good confession, as far as you can remember, so that you can start on this clean slate. And so, after this moment of retreat, I made my good confession, and then went back, and I felt called to continue with this prayer um, group that they had in our parish. But what I remember, before this point, I was suffering from a lot of stomach ulcers. I'd gone to the hospitals, they'd given me medicine, and I, I, I had a whole list of things I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat any saucy stuff, any citrus stuff, any Coke, any, I mean, it was nine, ten things. I, I couldn't do tea, because anything that was just, would just irritate my stomach. But after this retreat, I was healed. I was not only healed physically, but I was healed spiritually. Because I can't tell you what happened after that, it's like everything popped open. Mass was alive, adoration came alive, confession, everything came alive. I was like, man, this is great. So I start college, I go into business school, and I was doing a degree in college of business, and I started participating in the charismatic movement. My small Christian community would meet for prayer and reflection. I was also able to participate with some of the leadership in the charismatic renewal in Kenya. It was really amazing. But another thing the Lord was starting to bring to my attention, so we go for this meeting, and these guys get introduced to us, they were the music ministers at the time, as consecrated single. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of neat, don't know what it is, but it sounds great, you know? <laughs> to consecrate yourself to the Lord sounds like a good idea, but the Lord planted that seed into my heart and said, pay attention to that. So I kept moving along, serving as best as I could in whatever the Lord put in my heart. As I said, I, was, I started business administration. I also played college basketball, so that too took a lot of my time in tournaments, kind of again, balancing that way of life, remaining a faithful Catholic, but also being attentive to my studies, my responsibilities and whatnot. I attended uh, university at the Catholic University of Eastern Africa, which is almost like the Catholic University of America, but on the other side, it was formed by different bishops. And even how I got into that, it's a whole other story. But believe it, it was God's way, because I, I didn't realize that I would go to a Catholic school. So another thing ends up happening to me as I graduate from, uh, from college. 
you know, that's the time when you're trying to figure out your career. What am I going to do? What kind of job? Who's going to hire me? And I'm going to try and prove myself and try and make my first debut in the world. At that point, I got a, a job as a sales consultant. Now, sales is no joke. If you're being paid on commission, you gotta work your, you know what, off. <laughs> because you have to like look for clients, write letters, I don't know, do cold calls and people don't wanna hear you. And guess what I was selling? Health insurance. Because <laughs> they're like, if I don't get sick, what happens to my money? You still get covered, but I didn't get sick. I don't see why I should be investing in something which is not relevant for me. Right now, we could use my money somewhere else. Sometimes it was really a hard thing to really get people's mind. What happened was around this time, there's my uncle on my mom's side, who he, unbeknownst to me, had come to the United States and had studied at the University of Illinois. And he and his, his advisor got talking. And since they had been friends for many years, I consider Bob um, as one of, actually, my American dad, because he's been to Kenya over 30 times and considers Kenya his second home. Apparently, got talking to Bob, my uncle, and said, you know, anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can help with? You know, I'd love to come and live there. Of course, my wife, Janet, would not let me do that, but... <laughs> Anyway, they got talking and, and they said, you know, actually I have a niece who's finishing college. Do you think she might be able to go to grad school over there? And so I never really looked around for too many grad school options. He looked at my resume and said, you know, you might have a chance at the university based on your credentials and we have this college. Let me see what I can do and just you start the application in this way. So he kind of guided me into this place that the Lord was kind of opening up. I worked for about a year and before I knew it, I was at the University of Illinois. I'm going to another country. I visited different countries, stayed there for short periods of time, but not lived there across the world. The Lord had this great adventure for me. So I came in 2001, just before 9-11 hit, about a month before 9-11 hit. So that was quite an experience for me. And as you know, it was for you because we too in Kenya experienced a bombing three years earlier which by the way, I missed narrowly because in 1998, the US Embassy in Kenya was bombed and I had just walked by the US Embassy to go to the post office. And I could see all those who were lined up waiting to go into the American Embassy to get their visas, just like any normal day. But I did not use the same route back. I remember being in the post office waiting to be served, looking at the time and it was 10, 20 something, and I got served and then moved up, up the street, but a different route than it was from the U.S. Embassy. And we heard these blasts and we're like, what is going on in the heart of the city? And we all started running in a different direction. And when we look back, smoke, the building and everything. So, and being in the heart of the city was like, what just happened? And I remember, you know, just looking back that I never used the same route back. What was it about my life? Why have I been spared? I mean, there's, there's no rhyme or reason. It was a pretty powerful moment. I ended up coming to the United States, going to this campus, and after having been pretty active in the charismatic movement in Kenya and my faith, I did not know anything about the US other than, unfortunately, what I saw on the movies, which are like, this is a big disservice to call all people in the United States based on what is Hollywood. It took me a time to be able to come and really get enculturated in terms of 
They're normal people, just like we are. They eat foods like we do. It was almost like this whole cultural, they're human beings like we are. It was when I went to this campus that I again discovered another moment of God's seedlings being planted. I joined the Newman Center, barely started a retreat which was being run by the Apostles of Interior Life, who are an Italian congregation of women who serve on campuses. And they gave us different talks, God's love. And they ended up talking on religious life. I never heard about religious life, even though I worked with religious in the renewal. But they talked about religious life and bing, consecrated single idea came back. It's like, maybe it's related to that. So somehow the Lord put the two together and said, as I was graduating with my master, he said, I want you to continue with your studies, but I also want to make it a little clearer for you what your vocation is. I had no idea what vocation was. I never really looked into my vocation, whatever that was, imagine. But at that point, I felt like the Lord was kind of opening up another door in my life to say, pay attention here about your life and your purpose. So I continued with school, loved it, loved it. Met a lot of people from around the world as my fellow grad students. We had a graduate rosary group. Actually, we just started this year a graduate rosary reunion group on Zoom where we kind of prayed together. And we would sometimes would pray with the rosary in different languages, you know, because people are like, one is French, one is Italian, one is this. But they pray that decade in that language. But it was very international, but also very synergistic, synergistic, you know. There's some of my grad school experiences. On New York Exchange, she was from Korea, but she was my, uh, I was her sponsor when she entered into the church. And now, of course, she's married and has her kids, but she took the name of Saint Elizabeth of Hungary as her patron saint. But again, really such a powerful experience. These were some of my graduate rosary group members. So I had a very beautiful experience. And so, as I said, as I was going through grad school, by this time I'd moved into the doctoral program. And as I was going about two years into my doctoral program, I realized that something is happening here about being drawn into religious life. I never thought of anything about religious life. And this is a passage that was very instrumental for me, and it still is to this day. You know how the Lord calls the laborers? He said some are called at 9 o'clock in the morning, some at 12, 3 o'clock. I'm the five o'clock laborer. I had no clue what was coming. And he says, you, come and work. And I said, no, I think you have the wrong person here. Because as soon as the idea of religious life started coming in, I started telling him all these excuses and said, wait a minute. From where I come from, not that the Lord doesn't know where I come from, people are supposed to enter religious life when they're like two. At least they have a sense of this is where God is coming. You're kind of late, Lord. I'm kind of moved on in the game. And he said, no. And then the second thing I said to the Lord, well, I'm in another country. Where am I supposed to start looking for it? Well, no, I'll show you where. You know. So I started putting all these little things and he scratched that, scratched that. I'm God. Nothing's too difficult for me. We all do that, right? We like to put little obstacles and it's like, this is God we're talking about. There's nothing. Everything's possible for him. He owns the world, by the way, <laughs> and everything in it. So the cult of religious guys for me came out like a mystery. This is interesting. I had never really thought about giving my life to the Lord. It's a nice thing, but I have no idea. So I started on these nun runs, which they would have on campus, where we would go hit a few convents, get to see the different spiritualities. And apparently at some point I'd ended up discovering the daughters of St. Paul. But it wasn't just a quick discovery because 
at our campus, there was a priest from Tanzania who was celebrating 25 years of ministry, so he had all these friends who came over. One of them was a Franciscan mother superior of a Tanzanian congregation. So here we are talking, and she's telling her my story of looking at different congregations, and she said, have you looked at the daughters of St. Paul? And I said, the who? Because she said it in Swahili, and I'm like, never heard of them. And then later on in my prayer, the daughters came back to mind. And I said, hmm, maybe I should pay attention to whoever they are. And I started researching, and the, the, the sisters who I first called were in Boston, and Boston referred me to Chicago. And Chicago was the closest house to where I was. They're about three hours south. And it was pretty easy to just get the train or something, take the bus, go up to Chicago. And so I just remember they were celebrating 25 years of ministry in Chicago and said, hey, you want to come on up and celebrate with us? I said, sure. So a friend of mine and I drove up, and I remember going to the bookstore, and it was like a little candy. I was piling up and putting them on the counter, and I said, well, unless I want to wipe out my bank account, there's no way I can take all these books with me. So, of course, we started reading off, but we had a blast, you know, celebrating with the sisters. But this is what stayed with me. Another thing that the Lord dropped in my lap, and he said, as I was there, I remember going to the window. If you've been to Chicago, we're right on Michigan Avenue, which is like this hustle and bustle of activity. But it was ridiculously peaceful for me being there. It was like this stillness, you know, like Moses and the burning bush. Why isn't the bush burning? I couldn't tell you why. That was the Lord inviting me and said, you have to come back. And so I felt the invitation to keep exploring and finding out what is this that you're asking of me. So the sisters invited me to the sisters in St. Louis. They were having an Advent retreat. And before I knew it, they were inviting me to another retreat in Boston, which is our mother house. And the following year, that was in 2005, that was on my spring break, ended up being an opening for, to land at the same time as this retreat. And I said, oh my goodness, because it never happened for the eight years I was in grad school that I had the spring break that was open, other than that one, that I could go for any of these retreats. So I said, well, it must be a sign, or well, went up to Boston, you know, for the first time. So I go there, and this sister invites me to be an intern with one of the sisters who are there, who is the human resource director. It was an amazing experience to live with the sisters for about five weeks and learn about our mission, but then also about our spirituality, which is what? To preach Jesus Christ. We're not here to use the most fanciest means for the sake of using the fanciest means. There's a message as to why we're here, to tell people about Jesus Christ. Everybody, everybody on this earth needs to know Jesus Christ, to be loved, know they're loved by Jesus Christ, and to love him and to realize his mercy. That was what we were singing in praise and worship this morning. To recognize how merciful he's been to us, but it doesn't stay there. It's then we respond out of this mercy. So after being with the sisters for those five weeks, I went back and I was thinking, my gosh, this is great. I didn't realize how the two would come together, that my life as a human resource professional and the Lord could use my skills not that I'm kind of planting my career option in the Daughters of St. Paul, that's not the way it works, but it was just beautiful to say that anything and everything about my life can be useful for the gospel. Doesn't mean that you have everything all together, no. But he still uses everything for his glory. Now, of course, as I move through grad school, there's all these opportunities that come up, 
and I did interview with Walgreens, by the way, because I had to go. As with any company at that point in time, you do all sorts of take your resume, who knows where, interview with what. But I remember at that point in time, we had this career fair of people who work in nonprofit, people who work in the government, people who are in education, in corporate. And I said, where is the Lord calling me? And in the midst of all that, there's the daughters of St. Paul. Where are you calling me in all this, Lord? And I realized as I, the more I got accompanied by one of our sisters, and she was helping me hear the voice of God, the more it was becoming clearer that this is where the Lord was calling me. But even then, there's prayer and action. So prayer and action is I pray about it and do something about it. I make my application to Walgreens. Will I get accepted, guys? Well, I guess we'll find out. I put my application to the Daughters of St. Paul. I guess we'll find out. So guess where I landed? You figure that out. I graduated my doctoral degree in human resources in 2009. It was kind of interesting at that point in time. I had two of my sisters. One of them actually, Sister Ann Joan, who's next to my brother, is actually from New Orleans. She's in our, in our choir. Beautiful sister. And the other one, Sister Helena, they accompanied me in different ways. And would be, especially Sister Helena would invite me to Chicago to learn more about their mission, be on different book displays with them, get to know our mission. But they came to my graduation in 2009. Another sign of God's presence and slowly showing me where he wanted me to be. When I graduated, as you can imagine, some professors were happy as to what exactly I would be doing with my life after that. Some, I just pretty much wasted my whole life. I'm crazy. What's wrong with you? How can you get all that education and you're not, you're, what, you're gonna throw it in a convent? It was quite difficult to be able to say, I hope I'm not dreaming this up. I hope I'm not losing my marbles. And I did feel the sacrifice at that point in time. Not because I was kind of leaning into just holding to myself whatever education or, no, it was just that sense, I hope this is the will of God. I hope that all this journey that I've been making up until this point wasn't just me cooking up my own ideas. And we realize, we know as Jesus says, we will know it by the fruit. This before was the transition between my graduate school life into the convent, which I would enter later that year in 2009. I graduated and went home to Kenya, and I was there for about three months. And it was a difficult time, had been all that time, even though I told my parents that I'm thinking about religious life. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be joining. And when that actually, when you start signing that dotted line, they're like, wait, what's going on? My mom had an awful time. Because even though I like, remember, she said, no, she said, I tried to give her the list of the things that I would be entering, but she didn't even want to see it. Yeah, whatever. And that was hard for me. My brother couldn't understand why I'm joining a convent. My sister, why am I abandoning ship? In my family, in my community, we pull together as a community. Who will take care of mom and dad? Who will take care of the family stuff? If you leave, you're leaving that to us. And I felt like they felt that I'm leaving them to who, which kind of God would ask anything like this? I remember sitting with my brother in the car and crying. I said, I have to do this. I don't know why, but I have to do this. And it's very painful to stay in there when you know this is what the Lord is asking to you, but it's not really seeming to make a whole lot of sense to the outside. But I, I felt like Abraham giving Isaac, and hopefully the little 
thing will show up from the thicket somewhere and it wouldn't be the sacrifice that I would be offering. But you know what I mean? That Isaac was that, I felt it real then. Or jumping into the arms of love and hopefully the Lord will catch me on the other side. Which he did because what happened was one day in the evening when after my mom and I had gone to mass, I was waiting for mom and I was waiting for mom and I was like, where did she go? And she came out and she gave me this big hug and said, I surrender you to the Lord. Just being able to hear from her. It's not easy. Yeah, we pray for vocations, but maybe for, for the other kid. But not mine. Yeah, let's keep praying for vocations. But when it hits home, man, and it's probably not about the grandkids, but I think for her it was more about with a PhD, you could earn this money, which means you could make this living, which means you could fill in the blank. We all have dreams for our kids, but where are all those going to go if you're going to join a convent, profess poverty, chastity, and obedience? There's no money coming in from anywhere. This is the way we think, and it hit home. My dad was a little bit more, just be sure you're not making some whimsical decision. Think this through. And my mom, it's just where it really hit home. But just to say, for each one of my family members, it became a journey where they've all come around. Apparently, my brother is the one who would drive me to eventually join the convent and would, even to this day, continue to check on me, continue to visit me. He's the closest one in terms of, he's the one in the States. My sister is back home. But he would be the one who could, quote-unquote, give the news back home. She's fine. I saw her. I visited. But just to say, that's what the Lord did in his heart and turn him around and saw this is the will of God. And you think you're losing, but he's gained all these sisters as his sisters now. The same for my sister as well. So I go through the postulancy, I go through the novitiate. So here comes about my time for first vows in 2013. And Jamie comes along because after I did my first vows, I get stationed back here in New Orleans and during this first vows ceremony, guess what happens? I didn't even realize, it's such a busy day, you can't really process everything that's going through. But later on, the, the reflection that was given by my provincial was about being chosen and sent out. Later on, I go and give a talk to the CCRNO here, and I'm not sure who came up to you and asked you about writing a song on chosen. Yeah, someone came to him and said, Jamie, you gotta write a song on being chosen. I don't feel the song about being chosen, but I'll go and ask Sister Jazz Jackie about writing a song. And he comes to the store and tells me, yeah, you gotta write a song about being chosen. I'm like, I don't write songs. I, haven't, I have no idea how to write songs. I can pray about it. And apparently when we went and prayed about it and started working together, some song came. And soon we started writing. He said, I never thought about writing songs. I mean, who? The Lord starts doing these funny things that I never thought. So fortunately at that point I had the whole Kenyan community in Boston come and celebrate with us because a few of my family members to come. One of the crosses is my sister couldn't come because they couldn't give her a visa. She tried so many times to keep coming, but it was one of the sacrifices of families like, oh great, I'm not sure why you're not getting it, but anyway, she couldn't be there. But the whole family that I had of the Kenyan community being able to be there was a great consolation in what God was asking me to be in this new country. Now, the, the funny thing is that I didn't say earlier on, in my discernment, we actually do have the Daughters of St. Paul in Kenya. And guess what? I grew up going to our own bookstore in Kenya. 
All our missiles and prayer books are from the Daughters of St. Paul in Kenya. I just never met the sisters there. And so even in my discernment, I remember when I started discovering the sisters are in Kenya, then well, should I go to Kenya or should I remain in the United States? And as I did my discernment, at some point I felt like the Lord was saying, go, go back. You know, after you've received everything in your education, go back. But I remember leaving it open and saying, well, if you're calling me to join the daughters, and if you're calling me to join the daughters in Kenya, you've got to make it pretty clear. Unless there's something that I'm missing, you make it clear to me, Lord. So what happened was the sisters, when I went to visit them again in Chicago, our mother general was visiting. And she got talking to our vocation director in Chicago, and at that time, because I was still in grad school, I wasn't ready to join yet, but by the time I would join, I'd be over the age of 30, which means I would have had to have a, what do you call it, dispensation for being above the age limit. But then Mother General talked to our vocation director and said, you know, she could be a missionary here. And when the vocation director told me that, I was like, I never thought of that. And I started looking back at my life and seeing, well, why was it I never met the daughters in Kenya? I had every reason to have met them. They weren't far, but that was totally not there. I had to leave my own country, go to another place to discover what is in my backyard. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And then the second thing there says like, okay, being a missionary here, I don't know. I mean, I know the language, but I don't, I didn't grow up here. Remember when I said when I was home trying, after I graduated and I was waiting to change my visas to come back to formation? I remember being in my room and praying after grad school. By, the, by that time, you don't have too much money in your bank account because you pretty much used it all in your grad school experience. And I was thinking, I'm afraid to go back to the States. I had been here for eight years, but I was afraid to, to come back. And why I was afraid? Because I said, I don't know what I'm going to say. I knew I was coming back here on different terms, not my own. I was coming here because the Lord was sending me here as a missionary for as long as he wanted me here. And I, and I put that as a blank check to the Lord. I will be here as long as you want me here. Just let me know when you want me to go back home. Well, apparently he's still not letting me know when, I want to, when he wants me to go back home. But just to say, I'll be here on your terms. And I don't know where the money will come from for me to take care of my postulancy and novitiate expenses. I have this scholarship which I had received, which, my, which required after my studies to go back to Kenya, and if not, repay it. It was a women's organization, so they were kind of empowering women. Well, once they heard what it was I was involved, they said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll just keep us posted as to what you're doing. And I was like, well, the Lord took care of that. But he started sorting out one thing after another saying, no, this is where I want you to be. And as I said, it was frightening. I grew up here, I know English, but I don't know English. I, one of the things as I joke with one of our sisters is, there's a lot of idioms in American English. You know, hit by a Mack truck, Charlie horse. And I'm like, the what? There's little things and I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? But it's things like that when you enter into another culture, you're not privy to it, but there's a vulnerability to learning, and, but then also how do I preach Christ in, in that environment? So it felt like the prophets then. It's like, I don't know what I'm gonna say. I said, no, go, I'll send you, don't worry, I'll give you what you need. And that's what the Lord has been doing 
since. So these now have become my sisters. My sisters as an international community, the same Holy Spirit who works in all of us and has brought each one of us together to be sisters so that we can witness Christ to the people of our world in spite of wherever we come from because the Lord is one. And to be able to be that witness that the Lord is one. On my perpetual profession, this is my, as I said, I went back to the cathedral where I made my final vows. And my mom and dad typically would have to bring you to the bishop and present you to him, you know, like as they do it in, I think, ordinations. They present you and now I belong to the church. Now I belong to Jesus Christ forever. Now, one of the little stories I missed earlier on is when I made my first vows, my grandmother on my dad's side, we had a big mass of Thanksgiving in our little village home. And she stands up and says, wait, I want to say something. And of course, everyone is like, okay, grandma, the elder is speaking here, everybody listen. She said, 70 years I have waited. 70 years? 70 years for what? 70 years, I wanted to become a sister, and this is my story. I went to this priest back, back then. I was the only daughter. And when the priest heard my story, he said, no, 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 you can't leave your parents. You go take care of your parents. And she embraced that as the will of God. And she went and had a family of eight kids, my dad being the first, and many more. And she said, the Lord did not answer my prayer in my children. He answered it in my children's children. And you're it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't know I was answering anyone's prayer. All, as you can tell, I was struggling all the way, trying to find out what I'm And here I'm at, I'm being told, yeah, you're it. God chose you. From that point, it became 70 years. The faithfulness of God. He didn't forget her prayer. No, not at all. He never forgets our prayer. Whatever prayer, whatever sacrifices we make for our children, he always answers it. And I think of myself and the mercy of God that got in my own stumblings, trying to find the will of God. And that was what the Lord was saying. I am faithful. I will answer that prayer. And so you know what happened in my final profession? But guess what? In my final profession, grandma was there. 94 years old. 20, 2019. She was so happy trying to, kept hobbling with her little stick. Is everything going on well with her preparations? Are all her paperwork going okay? Not that she would know anything about the paperwork or anything, but she's like, is everything going well? And so the faithfulness of God, she just died last year in August. But to know that the Lord answered her prayer to the end, because I don't know how many prayers she probably offered for me after probably in my first vows or even before that, but this God who she had been in covenant with made it sure that she was there to see it, that don't worry, I answered that prayer to the end. That was one of the things that really blew my heart away because, again, I never envisioned it. And remember I said that Jesuit seminarian who was sent to teach me my confirmation classes, he was there on my final vows. As if to say, he didn't make it for the first vows, but when I told him, 
He said, sure, I'm not missing this one. <laughs> and again, it was the Lord saying, I answered that prayer. I heard you. Well, I obviously I wouldn't be Catholic and a Catholic nun today if he hadn't. But just to say, God is faithful. I would like to conclude, whatever you are going through, or if you've doubted in any way the presence of God, and I know you're women of faith, but we all fall, and we're on, where, where is God in all this? In my family, I still have family members. Just because I'm a sister, doesn't mean my whole family is all practicing. I'd ask you to pray for my sister Susan. Her husband is agnostic, and they just got married. It's not a Catholic wedding. It was a very painful experience for us, but we allowed ourselves to accompany her. Now my brother-in-law, in his journey of trying to find God, it's not easy, but she's trying to find God too and live the best that she can in her relationship with God. And as you know, marriage too, how do you try and find that balance? So that's her story, and that's the gift we've been given in our family to be able to pray with, accompany her. But just to say, each one of us has some stuff. We don't have to go invent it or look for it. We have it. But I pray that today will be a moment to see that no matter what, go back to your life. Start journaling. God has been there. Just as, as just a teeny bit story, these past few days, we had one of our sisters. The sister I interned with, the human resource department in Boston came these past few days and was with us. On Ash Wednesday, I started on a note of gratitude, but somehow the Lord just put this joy of, and gratitude in my heart of seeing my sister who has known me for 18 years before I even became a sister and offered her yes to accompany this little intern who was trying to figure out her way and now she was there with me. Another point of God saying, I am faithful. When you ask, when you pray, I will guide you. I will lead you to where I want you to go. The gift of knowing Jesus is far greater than the cost of following him. Sometimes we're focusing too much on the cost. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. This is the God of the universe. There's nothing difficult for him. Nothing should ever be difficult for him. If you've ever watched the movie Paul the Apostle, there's a part when Paul goes back into tent making and Barnabas comes and finds him and says, Paul, what are you doing? God called you to go and preach the gospel. And I guess Paul was having one of those sorry moments like, well, but the Lord told me I would have to suffer for him. This is God who is calling you. Do you get it? What wouldn't you want to suffer for him? Let's think about that. The cost will never outweigh the benefit of the gift that we've received. God is not random. His plan is very intentional. It's very intricate and it is so well thought out and is full of love. So a little book I'm just going to highlight at the end that has a beautiful, beautiful prayers. I've contributed a few prayers in here and one of them is a, a, a dialogue between the disciple and the master. It was during novitiate when I was going through a very difficult time and the Lord was telling me, no matter what you're going through, I am here. If you're feeling lonely, I am with you. If you're feeling sick, I am your healer. If you don't think you know anything, I am your wisdom. Whatever it is, he is it. I am your all in all. Let us praise the king of our hearts. Praise the one who has shown us his mercy. Praise the God of the universe. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? 
If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.